Isn't God good? Been in the church all my life. I, I don't suppose I was more as two weeks old by the time I got to church the first time. And uh, my dad went some 22 years without missing a Sunday so in the local church. And the Sunday he missed, this is from the time he got out of the Navy until he had missed a Sunday. He had a fatty tumor taken off his back and had to spend the night for some reason. And the doctor didn't let him out till 11 o'clock Sunday morning. And so we couldn't get to church. He was in church Sunday night. Pastor at that time said, he th- I think we ought to keep the record going. But, but isn't God good? And it's certainly good to be here. I'd like for us to turn to what I consider one of the most frightening passages in the Bible. Anybody want to take a guess what I want to turn to? Well, as you can see, it's near the end of the Bible. And I think it's a message I wish I had heard earlier in my life. I grew up, as I said, in the church, in the holiness movement. And I thank God for that. And sometimes it's so easy to get caught up doing what is right that it can leak out what makes it right. Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have preserved, persevered, and endured hardships for my name. You have not grown weary. Can God say that about you? Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices. Notice his practices, not the person. Of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being here. We thank you for your word and your faithfulness to us. Father, for Jesus' sake, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of each and every one of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke chapter 1, we read about Elizabeth and Zacharias. Now, Zacharias and Elizabeth both were descendants of Aaron, the first high priest of Israel. The Bible says about them, this is what God says about them. They were blameless. They kept all of his ordinances and commandments blamelessly. Wow, what a testimony. Everything was perfect. You know what the next word is? But they had no children. Now, in that day, for a woman to be childless and a husband to be childless, that was a scandal. And they would have been looked down. He was a priest. He was hanging on, 
trying to get a chance to offer the incense to the Lord in prayer. And since they were chosen by Lot, some priests went a lifetime and never made it. He was hanging on because the retirement age was 50. And when he says he was old, I am told that word means he had seen at least 60 winners. So he was past retirement age, whatever it means. Can you imagine the ridicule and the whispering that they were people they, they heard behind their backs? They said it just loud enough that they could hear something was going on, of course. Everything was perfect on the outward except they had no children. And when I look at this church at Ephesus, I can't think of a more perfect church. It was founded by the Apostle Paul. What a founding pastor. Probably when he went to Patmos, John was probably arrested from being the bishop in Ephesus. Ephesus was a beautiful city, one of the most beautiful cities in all the world. It had a harbor that was fantastic, and this is where the Roman counselor and governor came to went for the province of Asia, and all the things that were there. It was a beautiful city. Uh, that harbor now is two miles from the sea, but uh, we'll get to that later. But it was a beautiful city. It was a hard place to be a Christian, though. I mean, unless you wanted to be a lion bait, because there were places there, and they had the thing, and Christians could wind up in there, and so... Being a Christian, you really had to stand out, and you did stand out. And I can remember when we in the church and the holiness movement stood out a little more than we do today. That's not all bad. Some of it was good. But it was, they, they stood out, and there was something to be a Christian there. It was not easy. So when a person was a real Christian, they had to take a stand, and it was good. And I'd like for us to think this morning, Owen Perfect, is not enough. I think this passage speaks to it, and it speaks very strongly to me, and I can remember times in my own life I definitely needed to hear that. But when perfect is not enough, perfection is not enough, we see here a church with a fantastic resume. Did you see what God said about them? I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested Remember John wrote, test those that are claimed to be prophets and are not. Find out. They had tested them. They found out they weren't. They had persevered. You have endured hardship for my name. That's the right reason. They were doing the right things and doing it for the right reasons. God says about them, oh, also appreciate the way that you hate the Nicolaitans. Down the road a ways, they, they tolerate them and put up with it and practice some of the things that they were bringing into the church. You're doing the things I want. You're doing it with perseverance. You're proud of it. Friends, I know what that's like. I can remember when I, I was a school photographer, and I'd be late coming home sometimes from ball games or something, and I was so proud of myself, I could get in the house without mother knowing it. I didn't give her, give her anything to worry about, and that was, that was a good thing, but I could get in without her knowing it. And then finally, when I did get to dating, and wasn't much of that, uh, I'd come in from Mays sometime late. After all, she lived in Christiansburg, or between Christiansburg and Blacksburg, and so it was a ways back to Salem. And so I could get in without Mother knowing it. <clears throat> boy, wasn't I a good boy. It was the right thing to do, and so that's the right reason. And you know, it took God a while, a few trips to his woodshed, for God let me know that my pride was just about as bad as some of the things that the other guys pragged about. But I was better than they were, wasn't I? 
I'm not sure. We'll say more about that. But here God's description of this church is exactly what you would want to hear, exactly the kind of thing you'd want, and for the very reason. God doesn't criticize any reason or any things that they were doing what was right. And everybody knew it. And they, even those who tried to get in on and try to get things going and be a part of the thing, they would find out they were false and let them know and run them out of town. You had to be a real you had to really live it right to be a part of this church. And what an exciting thing that was. They had a fantastic resume. It was a beautiful thing. They were doing what was right. I'm reminded of something that one of my professors told a seminary when he first moved to Wilmore, Dr. Roman, Dr. Robert Coleman. Now, he was a big Texan, and he looked every part of a big Texan. He was a professor of evangelism. He's cowboy boots and the whole nine yards. And he first moved to Wilmore. He was out working in his garden. And it, August in Wilmore is hot and it's humid, at least as bad as it can be here. And so we find what was going on, and he was out working in his garden. His little preschool daughter was out there working with Daddy. And his wife came to the door with a big glass of lemonade. Now, that sure tastes good on a hot August day in Wilmore, and there wasn't much air conditioning in those days. And so, that's back in the 60s. And we, late 60s. We find out, I graduated from Wilmore in 69, so this would have been 65, so when he came to Wilmore. And his little girl says, I'll take it to Daddy. She runs up to her, to Dr. Coleman's wife, her mother, and she takes that glass of lemonade, sticks her fingers down in it, carries her to Daddy, had changed color, looked up at her dad as he handed him that glass of lemonade. And she said, I looked at her and love was in her heart and says, I drank it down to the last grain of sand. She could have belonged to the church at Ephesus. She did the right thing. She did it for the right reason. And God would have approved. But friends, I want us to ask ourselves, are we trying to please God? And what's our motivation behind it? In this case, it was right. Dr. Coleman drank at the last and he pleased his daughter just like God wants to please you if you want to please him. They had a fantastic resume. But you notice there was, some, there was a fateful revelation that came to them. God says, yet I, have, I hold this against you. The King James says, but I have somewhat against you. And the word but there is a strong preposition. It's a strong contrast. This over here is very good. This over here is very bad. You have left your first love. How in the world could that happen? How in the world could they live the way they were living and take all the persecution they were taking and all the slander and all the things that were against them and still do what's right and do it without their first love? They'd left it. it made a, they'd made a critical choice. You see, the word love here is agape, which means a love of choice. God is love. It's a choice he has made. That's what his character is. That's what it always will be. That's what it will always show itself as because that's his choice. It will not change. And yet they were somehow being able to do what is right. And they stood out so it was easy to see what was right. And the contrast was there. And they did it without the love of Christ. Quite frankly, I don't understand it, except I think I do somewhat understand it. 
because I, like I said, I could get in without mother knowing I was out. Now, have you ever tried to slip by your mother? That's something to be proud of, isn't it? <laughs> I had a good mother and dad, godly people, came from a very godly home. And I know what it is to want to please them and feel good about it. But you know, I have also found out you can do that on your own. And God had to do some work on me. And here was a church that had left their first love. They were doing everything right. I expect there were even people who were attracted to Christ because they saw the difference they were making in the stand they were willing to take. And yet they'd left their first love. There wasn't the power of God. Eventually it would have had to have caught up because I don't think, I, don't know, I know in our own strength we can't continue to do these kind of things. But God had something for them. And God, in his faithfulness, let them know this revelation. He revealed himself to them. He showed them what needed to be done. He showed them that there was something wrong. There are some indications in church history that when this letter came, it did some good because there seemed to be a change and they lasted a few hundred years longer. And uh, what was it, Nasus or somebody like that wrote about and said some of the same things here that I, I appreciated what I saw and what I saw about Christ in you. And that was good. But you've left your first love. And you cannot maintain a Christian life very long that doesn't begin to show some cracks if the love of Christ is not there. You can do it for a while, I know. I've proven it. And it... There's ways that God will hold on to you. God doesn't let go of anybody willingly. In fact, you have to walk away. God doesn't let go. We let go. I remember our son, Wilmore, and I used to take him to school. He'd be less than three years old. And I used to put my fingers around his wrist, and he'd walk, and he'd hold on to my finger. As long as he made a fist, I don't care how small it was, I was strong enough his hand could not go through my hand, fingers. But if he opened up his hand, I wasn't strong enough with that little hand, with just my fingers, to hold him up. God doesn't let go of us. We let go of him. And you may have to climb up his arm and down his shoulder and slide down his back to get away from him, but you'll have to do it. And here was a church that was on its way down. They didn't know it yet. But God, in his faithfulness, he showed them. He told them the faithful revelation was there, and God is faithful. He will show us when we're slipping. He cares about us. There was a tremendous thing there. Had to be a forceful remedy there. See what God said they had to do? He said you need to repent and do the first works over. Now, repentance is never easy. How many of you like to admit you're wrong? Can't put my hand up. Neither did they. God says you need to repent. Repent means be sorry enough to quit. It means you've got to be sorry enough to make the change. You've got to admit you were wrong. God, you were right about the condition. That's what the word confess means. God, you were right. Change me. And here God says repent and do the first works over. Come back to me and come to the place where you realize that the only help that you need and can have is the cross. That Christ made the sacrifice. Christ made the difference. Christ worked within our lives to do that which is necessary. Repent. Do those first works over. Like I said, Ignatius, 
in his letter near the end of the first century, not too long after this was written, would indicate that that perhaps happened. God will warn us. There is a remedy. God will bring a remedy. <clears throat> and you know where the remedy has to come for our country? We're in a mess in this country. Christians are beginning to be persecuted. There are places in Canada where a preacher can be arrested and convicted if he preaches against homosexuality. One of the general superintendents of the Wesleyan Church told us about that. And one of the problems that the Wesleyan Church has had in Canada is a preacher when a preacher preaches against homosexuality if it's reported. And it's coming here. This country is not tolerating. Look at the things. Could you, can you believe the things that have happened here in the last six weeks in our own country? And all the things about it going on that we used to stand so strong against and people respect it as far as now they don't. And all this, these things that are happening, God says you've got to repent. There's got to be a change. And God is paying attention. He knows about these things and it's there. But the remedy that God gives... Doesn't, tells us that the cure is not going to come from Washington or for any of our politicians or Richmond. Second Chronicles 7.14 is still in your Bible and it's still true and it's still the only remedy. If my people who are called by my name, God's not stuttering when he repeats himself. He's trying to get our attention. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then... I used to take higher mathematics. We had mathematical theories that would be if-then relationships and these things are happening and these is where the proofs come in and God says, then, this is what will happen. I will hear from heaven. What happens when God hears? He responds. We have the petition that we have. We're asking him. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will cleanse it. I will take it away. And here's what we need in our country today. I will heal their land. Where does it start? My people who are called by my name. That's where it starts. And God's call to repentance goes out to the church. It goes out to those who are walking the closest to him. If judgment begins in the house of the Lord, where's the rest going to stand? It has to start with us. And I thank God for his faithfulness and his love. It reaches out and keeps drawing us back to himself, back to himself to be what we ought to be. Some places the church has given up more than she should have. Some places we've tried to hold on to things we shouldn't. God says, repent. There's something for you. There's a fearful result here. If you look at Ephesus today, it's a beautiful ruins today. That's all it is. Nobody lives there. It's just a place to collect money so you can go there and see the ruins. Marble streets. Man, that's beautiful. Can you, would you, can you imagine what it would be look out here if this street were paved with marble? Marble's beautiful. And that street in Ephesus is still beautiful. The ruins there are something. But one thing I remember that I did not see and our guide did not point out, there had ever been a church there. I don't know which went first, the church or the city. I know it had to start with it and then the church breaking down. There's no church there, and we were not shown any sign of a church. They can show you the prostitute's house and the steps leading up to it to advertise it. They can show you all that. The fearful result there is it can bring destruction. And if there's ever going to be any hope for our country, we've got to come back to God. There's got to be a cleansing of our hearts, and our love's got to be hot and warm. 
Wesley said when he was saved, he was, his heart was strangely warmed. Have you experienced that? Is that still true? Is the hot, fire burning hot? Is our relationship with Christ in our lives real and precious? And we look forward to it. Do you look forward to your devotional time? I pick up my Bible in the morning and have my devotions. I still pick it up the same way I used to go to the mailbox to pick up May's letters. It's still real. I still want it. I still have those letters. This book is important. When I had my heart surgery, we got up early enough for me to have my devotions before we went to the hospital. Supposed to be there at five. This is important. And the hospital found me a Bible before I could bring mine in so I could have my devotions in the recovery room. Or not the recovery, whatever that unit is they have now. I should be able to remember it. I know exactly where the room was. God is faithful, but it's a tragedy coming for those who will not repent. God has something real for us, and it keeps getting better, and it's something that is genuine and something that works in our lives, and we thank God for it. It's genuine. Jesus does end up this letter saying, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which, remember, Adam and Eve were not allowed to, which is in the paradise of God, that special garden that God has for those he wants to show honor. When perfect isn't enough, even God didn't find fault with their actions, their reasons for doing it, only their heart, which nobody else could see. And I have wondered and kicked around in my mind and still haven't come to a firm conclusion whether John realized it when he wrote the letter or not. He may have a good pastor is told a lot of things by God, but some things God even hides from your pastor. Some things he don't. What about us? Maybe this message wasn't for anybody, but I doubt it. God says, I've got a remedy. And that remedy will affect not only you and the church, but it will affect our nation. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then and only then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sins and heal their land. I know the Lord has had me over the years, even after dating and May and I got married, worked on me on some of my attitudes. He had to bring up some corrections and bring some things up to date, but thank God he did. His love is so real and so precious, and God's patience is beyond belief. And I thank God for it. I don't know how he had enough patience with me. He's helped me have some patience with some, but not enough yet. God's still working on me. He's not through. And I thank God that he's not. I'd like for us to sing J. Edwin Orr's song, Cleanse Me. It's in your hymn book if you may have it on the screen. And whatever God is saying to him, whether you need to pray here or just in your seat or just say, yes, Lord, you were right, and I'm willing to let you correct it. I want you to mind God. I want you to be what, be what he is asking you to be. 
so that your influence can be for Christ and you can know the peace of God that passes all understanding and be the influence for Him that He wants you to be.